0: Brian Barnett. I'm the creator and host of The Last Symptom. I'm very happy to have you here with me this week. Got a pretty good show for you today, Campfire Stories this week. The first one is about smoking Joe Frazier, the world-famous boxer, and the night I crossed paths with him in Philadelphia. Of course, this show uh, ain't about storytelling exclusively. We're going to talk about emotional unhealth, and authentic recovery from emotional disorder. That's our primary reason for being here. And some of the topics we're going to discuss today along those lines are, how do you know shame is shame? And what do you specifically do to reject shame? Another thing we'll talk about is love and hope and my ability to get through or not to people who simply aren't receptive already. But before we get into all this stuff, i got to tell you about thelastsymptom.com. That's my website for free resources. And by the way, last week I had mentioned on the show about how donations and sponsorships continue to be a, an important support for my work. And immediately, a couple of folks uh, donated to support me last week so i just want to express how uh, grateful i am to those folks Uh, you know who you are i appreciate your generosity very much i don't take it for granted and uh, i just appreciate it very much it uh it's humbling so thelastsymptom.com as you know by now offers you the ability to support my work if you'd like to by donations but primarily the website is full of free resources this show makes up one of those free resources and some very modest paid resources for example you can schedule one-on-one calls with me through thelastsymptom.com you can arrange for one-on-one zoom video conferences with me through thelastsymptom.com and of course there's my intensive two-week program called the last symptom fundamentals course you can enroll in that class uh, from the last symptom com like I say it's about two weeks long in duration and uh, basically it consists of all the insights, all the fundamental insights that I had to gain in order to authentically recover from borderline personality disorder myself and I just uh, present them in a very nicely structured way it's a video course that's pre-recorded in a very nice format and so you can take the course according to your personal schedule and uh, availability. It is something that I consider far superior to DBT. So, if you'd like to take a look at that, please run over to thelastsymptom.com, and there's a uh, an introduction video there that you can view. The last symptom has a a healthy and active social media account on the locals platform. You can join us by going to thelastsymptom.locals.com. And in fact, there's a brand new updated landing page there for the Last Symptom community on the Locals platform. And I'm excited for you to see that. It's me and my daughter having a a deep heart-to-heart next to a lake. The address for that again is thelastsymptom.locals.com, or you can download the locals.com app to your phone and just search for the last symptom. Well, what do you say? You want to get in on this uh, campfire story? We'll get comfortable. Here it goes. I had forgotten until I started writing the outline for today's show. That this happened the night that uh, my ex-wife, Diana, and I were coming back from Center City, Philadelphia, headed toward either Hatboro or Warminster, PA, just a suburb of Philadelphia, where we lived. I can't remember where we were living at that time. But that night, we had gone down into Center City, Philadelphia, to see Les Miserables at, I think it's called... The Academy of Music, in in Center City, Philadelphia. So that's what we had. We're downtown doing was seeing that that play, and that was just a very nice experience. We went with a couple of friends of ours, and we were on our way back, driving through an area of Philadelphia. Now you got to remember me being from the sticks, me being from Appalachia. Um, <laughs> there are parts of any big city that I feel very out of place in. And this part of Philadelphia was one of those areas where I just felt kind of like my life was in danger everywhere everywhere we went. But as we were driving along, a big Cadillac, a big white Cadillac, which was sitting on the right-hand side of the road, of the street, suddenly pulls away from the street and turns in a big sweeping u-turn for the other lane like to go the opposite way and when the big cadillac did that it happened right in front of us the cadillac turned like that directly in front of us and i mean i was moving at 50 60 miles an hour so i had to i had to slam on the brakes and we come to a screeching halt. It's just a miracle that there was not more cars behind us because they would have plowed right into into us and sent us careening forward. But we got stopped and the Cadillac apparently did not see us when when it went to, to do this big old sweeping turn out right across the middle of this four-lane busy street but he slammed on his brakes and so we come to a stop the front of our vehicle was a few short feet away from the drivers door of this Cadillac and realizing that that i had almost died my wife had almost died because of this guy pulling his cadillac right out into traffic like that i went ballistic i laid on that horn i had my window down i was screaming every obscenity you can you can think of now you got to remember i still had borderline personality disorder at this time so everything in my life that even remotely happened to me like that Uh, I took it as a personal offense you know like the the universe is trying to take a crap on me even so if if something like that happened today I'm not sure that I would react too much cooler about it because uh, my whole life flashed in front of my eyes and it was so stupid it was such a stupid move just such a stupid thing to do on that street well the guy behind the driver's seat was an older black guy and he threw up his hands i mean he, he was clearly terrified too he did not expect that to happen apparently he didn't see us he didn't see any traffic i, I just don't think the guy should really have been driving but he you know he threw up his hands he was you know, like apologetic I, I guess and his eyes were as wide as dinner plates too and, uh, so I, I'm still screaming at him, get out of the way, get out of the way. So he drives his caddy out of the way and goes the, goes off the direction he was going. Well, I put the car back into drive and and we keep going. And I mean, I'm shaking and we get up to the next red light and I'm just complaining to my ex-wife diane about how stupid the guy was and how he almost got us killed and what in the world is a person doing like that driving anyway we get up to the next red light and this car full of black guys pull up next to us now we're down in in kind of a rough part of philadelphia and they they beep their horn and I look over at them, and they're trying to get me to roll my window down. Well, I thought, no way. No, 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 no. This is uh, not, not a good idea. So I just continued to look forward. I thought that I, that I had uh, offended these folks, and, and I was about to, to pay for it. Now, these people, they, they were behind us when this happened. They had to come to a screeching halt, too. But I was just thinking, like, you know, because maybe I seem out of place, they're, they're going to let me have it. So I don't roll down my window. The light turns green. We dro- we keep driving. We get the next red light. Erk, come to a stop. Car pulls up to me again. They're still trying to get my attention. And uh, so finally, yeah, I look over there. I don't know what they're going to say to me. I don't know if they're going to shoot me. I don't know what's going to happen. But. I cracked my window. And the guy's got his window all the way down. And I mean, it's a a car full of people. He says, do you know who that was? Talking about the, the Cadillac that almost killed us. I said, no, I don't know who that was. He says, that was Joe Frazier, the boxer. Smoking Joe Frazier. That's his gym back there. And... So I rolled my window down the rest of the way now that I knew I wasn't going to get beat up. And I said, you're kidding me. Yeah, that's his gym right back here, they they said. Well, that's it. That's my story. Uh Joe, Fra- Smoke and Joe Frazier darn near killed me one night in Philadelphia with his crazy driving. Now, here's the thing for you folks to know if you're not boxing fans. Is that Joe Frazier famous He's a world famous boxer. He famously fought and beat Muhammad Ali. In what is known as the fight of the century. In Madison Square Garden. In New York City in 1971. Uh, that gym. I think Frazier died in 2011. So not too awful long after. Uh, after my ex-wife Diana and I had that experience. Where our our paths crossed with him in a really frightening way. But that gem that he was leaving that night, the National Trust for Historic Preservation has named that gem in its 25th list of America's 11 most endangered historic places. They did that in 2012. In 2013, that same gem was named to the National Register of Historic Places. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? I mean, just some guy from Appalachia, you know, the local town where I come from, I think a maximum of 6,000 people have lived there ever. And uh, me ended up in Philadelphia and crossing paths with Joe... Frazier, the boxer, and uh, his gym, and me having that connection to this gym now, which is an experience. You know that I'll I'll have for ever. It will have never not have happened. So, it's an experience that uh, just connects us. This uh, gym that is now in the National Register of Historic Places, but was not at that time. He was still alive, and he was still running that gym, still owned it. When I. Learned that Joe Fraser had almost killed us. I did some research on him. <laughs> and uh, one thing that stood out to me was this line on Wikipedia, which is still on Wikipedia, says Frazier, I think probably at the time I was reading it, it said Frazier continues to train young fighters because clearly he was still alive. But now this sentence on Wikipedia says Fraser continued to train young fighters at that gym although he needed and this is the the irony here although he needed multiple operations for back injuries sustained in a car accident (laughs) Uh, so it means that his driving had already got him into an accident and there he is still driving that same way and almost, uh, almost killed us. But, you know, I, I do regret that I screamed at him, and yelled at him, and said all those things I said that night because he he was a pretty decent guy from what I can gather, from what I've been able to, you know, learn about the guy. He seemed like a, a real stand-up guy. And uh, <laughs> um, we all make mistakes. By the way, isn't it interesting that uh, when we hillbillies from Appalachia or the south go into a big city we drive around afraid it's kind of an exaggerated fear too I remember when I first moved to the city I used to drive everywhere with my windows up, my doors locked that's that's what we learned we just learned that cities are dangerous and uh but then you take somebody from the city, particularly people collar and they drive to the country, and they do the same thing. <laughs> We're all afraid. Everybody's afraid. Because, you know, you, you don't want to take chances with what you don't understand or know. That's the thing. So when you're driving down through like a, the middle of a, a major city, you don't know what you, – you're, you're out of your territory you don't know what to expect so you take every precaution and I imagine that's what people folks from the city do as well anyway uh, let's get into today's topics about emotional health I'm kinda struggling today I don't know if you can tell I've been extremely busy this week and uh, had to do my taxes this week and that chopped out seven hours Of my schedule and so I'm kind of running behind on things and uh, so if things seem a little bit disjointed tonight I hope you'll forgive me for that but boy if you get a chance to join us over there at the Last Symptom Community on Locals uh, do that because it's it's really turning into something special I imagine over the next year couple years uh, it's going to have really grown a lot Alright, I got an email this week, or over the weekend, and somebody said to me, I can't tell you who it was, but you know who you were. He says, I notice you seem to be answering questions from your followers on the Last Symptom podcast. One question I have, I remember you mentioning that shame is never constructive, and we should reject it whenever we feel it my question is how exactly do you know if it's shame for example I often beat myself up over things I've said and done in the past when I realize in retrospect I could have done things better is that shame and how exactly do you reject it for example do you just tell yourself positive self affirmations in your head or tell your inner critic to be quiet so here's the answer how how do you know if shame is shame Well, it's not too difficult. You know shame is shame if you feel bad about yourself. That's really what it comes down to. If you feel bad about yourself, that's shame. Without calling too much attention to... Well, let's just say, my my intention is not to highlight any evil people, but in the interest of really helping you folks understand why shame for example is never constructive and why people shouldn't feel bad about themselves think about the guy who shot up las vegas a couple years ago or a few years ago i remember after that happened the talking heads on tv all speculating about what why he would have done such a thing it was pretty obvious to me why he did it he didn't like himself this man, he had lived his entire life secretly believing that he was a piece of shit. What is the only thing that believing you're a piece of shit motivates you to do? Shitty things. Now you can resist it for a long time and maybe and of course not everybody does such a shitty thing as what he ended up doing. But if you believe that you're just a piece of shit, you know, or in other words that you don't that you don't have inherent worth, so just you on your own, you're just empty, you you you're nothing. That's what being devoid of inherent worth is. Just you on your own, you're worthless. You 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 literally have no value. You see that's why it's so important to develop an appreciation and understanding that you do have inherent worth because a person who does not believe that they have inherent worth in their mind if you just take them on their own just them on their own they are nothing they're they're worth less They, they don't have any value any sense of value that they do have has to come from some external thing some accomplishment some material possession or possessions a beautiful girlfriend or a wife you see but on your own you don't have inherent value your value has to be gained that that's what the the reality of that is so let's say that he does this terrible thing he shoots up las vegas and let's say that he didn't die in that massacre. When he comes out of it, should he feel bad about himself? Well, this might be a sensitive subject for a lot of people. But the answer is no. He shouldn't feel bad about himself, because it's absolutely non-constructive to feel bad about yourself. Because it gives you nothing to do. It gives you nothing to change. It gives you nothing constructive moving forward. Because are you never? Are, is there ever a time when you're not going to be you? No, there is never a time when you're not going to be you. So if you're feeling bad about yourself, what is the solution from, a, from an unhealthy person's point of view? There is no solution because you're never not going to be you. Can you fix being you? No you can't. And on some level everybody understands this. Either on a subconscious or an unconscious level or even a conscious level in some cases. Everybody knows that we are just who we are. There's no changing it. Now on the other hand, should he have felt terrible about the things that he had done? Of course. Of course he should. You see, that's constructive. You can, A person can work with that. A person can grow with that. And it's right when we do things that are terrible to recognize that those things were terrible. They can't be allowed to be done. Uh, I remember maybe in the first year of The Last Symptom, somebody said on my group, now, let me get this straight, she said. Are you telling me that... Uh, If I'm just sitting around on my couch, wasting my life away and not doing anything, I shouldn't feel bad about that? And I said, yes, you should feel bad about what you're not doing. But you should not feel bad about yourself. Because if this girl feels bad about herself, what does this animate her to do? nothing it animates her to continue sitting on the couch because on some level she know if she believes that she is the problem she know also knows there's no fixing the problem she's always gonna be her therefore feeling bad about herself only encourages her to just stay there on the couch continuing to waste her life away but now what happens when she her focus changes what happens when she works at, the, at gaining the ability to separate who people are from what they do? Right? The things I do are not inherent reflections of who I am. So if she identifies that just that her lack of action is not good, what does this animate her to do? Well, it animates her to get up off the couch. You see, it gives her something to change, something to do different moving forward. So that's what we're talking about when we say that shame is never constructive. It doesn't give you anything constructive to do or to change or to work on. Remember how in the past I've said that many, many things in authentic recovery are extremely subtle well this is one of them you working on the ability to view yourself and the things you do or don't do as being two separate things you see they're not one and the same thing if you can do that then you can begin to feel bad about the things you do or don't do the things you say or don't say while at the same time not hating yourself for it now here's one thing I want to say in regards to this question about how do you know if it's shame in the beginning it can be a little tricky while you're trying to learn to identify shame just by the way it feels you know uh, nowadays I don't have to sit and go hmm is this shame or is it guilt I know I can identify shame almost immediately by the way it feels inside my body it has a very distinct feeling but in the beginning it wasn't always easy for me to identify shame because shame is sneaky it often conceals itself behind our actions so that we believe that we feel bad for our actions when really we feel bad about ourselves And, you know, it's not entirely unusual or uncommon for shame and guilt and regret for a multitude of emotions to exist together at the same time. So, you know, when you get really good in your recovery, you'll be able to separate those things out. You'll be able to say, ah, I'm feeling a a combination of these things. And I can identify shame because of the messages inherent to it. I can identify guilt because of the messages inherent to it, and I can identify regret because of the messages inherent to it, and also how these things feel within me. How do you know if you're feeling bad about what you've said and done, or if you're feeling bad about yourself, or both things at the same time? Well, let's use an illustration. Let's say I'm driving down the road through town. (laughs) Speaking of smoking joke, Frasier almost killing me. Let's say we're driving down the road, I'm lost in thought and I accidentally run a red light you know I drive right through the intersection and I don't realize the light is red until it's too late and when I do this you know other cars are coming through the intersection and we almost all all of us crash I get to the other side of the road what's the language inside of my head what are the messages in the feelings you got to remember that feelings often have messages inherently included in them when you feel shame I reckon I should have talked about what the difference between guilt and shame is shame is when you shame is the message the feeling inside of you that is saying to you it is actually a message and it's saying you're shit Your shit you're the problem and guilt on the other hand says what you did is the problem what you did is is shitty you need to change that moving forward but that's not the message in shame the message in shame is not focused on the, the action or the behavior instead it's focused on you just you, who you are you're the problem So now I've driven through this intersection, and I let's say that I start having some dialogue with myself, like, Brian, you are so stupid, so stupid. Look what you did. Are those messages of guilt? No, those are messages of shame. It's saying you're the problem. The reason why you just did that is because you're so stupid. You see? So in that case... On the surface, you may think, "Well, I feel bad about having to run the red light but the the dialogue that you're having with yourself does not indicate that the dialogue you're having with yourself indicates the opposite that you're feeling bad about yourself you you think you did that thing you think the reason why you could make that mistake is because you're so stupid and you're an idiot and you're you're broken and you're you know beyond redemption or whatever. So those are the sorts of questions you have to ask yourself. What is this feeling telling me? Is it is it trying to make me feel bad about myself or is it allowing me to split to divide who I am with what I've done? If it allows you to divide that in your analysis of the of the situation if it allows you to to separate who you are from this thing you've done, that's guilt. Right? I can do a lot of stupid things that I regret or feel guilty about and still go to bed and sleep well. Because why? Because I've already made plans in my head about how I'm going to do that different moving forward. The guilt or the regret, if... It's regret that I have some kind of control over. The, I, I, you don't always have control over regret. You know, for example, I regret the Trail of Tears that the Cherokee and many other Indian tribes endured. Uh, but I wasn't alive back in. And I had nothing to do with it. I couldn't have prevented it. Can't go back in a time machine and stop it. So it's not regret that I'm tied to in any way, that I'm involved with in any way, but it's, I still regret it. Guilt, on the other hand, would be something that I personally could have stopped, I was personally involved in, um, some action of mine that caused somebody else harm, those sorts of things. Shame is simply, Barnett, you're worthless. You're just worthless. So, the second part of this question, how do you reject shame? Well, if you'll remember, I've explained often that We have no control over our feelings. So, the whole notion of emotional regulation or emotional dysregulation is utter horseshit. There is no such thing. There's nobody walking around. There's never been a person alive who could control what they feel. Like some sort of switchboard. You just click, click, click. Okay, now I'm feeling happy. Now I'm feeling sad. Um. there's there's nobody that that's not a thing that human ability human beings don't possess that capacity to control what we feel so you know the the professional community constantly teaching and endorsing just horseshit notions like emotional dysregulation what's my problem well your problems emotional dysregulation what does that imply it implies you can't control your feelings. And the reality is that nobody can control their feelings. So when you experience shame, it's not like healthy people who also experience shame from time to time, by the way. Not at the consistency that unhealthy people do, but it's a human emotion and it does come up every once in a while. But healthy people are not going, oh there's shame click. I turned I turned that off. Can't do that. People can't do that. So you got to ask yourself, where does everything we feel come from? Well, everything we feel is preceded by a thought. It's as simple as that. Everything you feel is preceded by a thought. Now what uh, what are some examples of thoughts? Perceptions are just thoughts. Memories are thoughts. ...dreams are thoughts. But you get the point. Everything we feel is preceded by some thought. So, remember just a few minutes ago, I said that feelings are messages. When we feel, for example, shame, we're not just feeling a feeling. It's There's a message in that feeling... You are a terrible father. You are an idiot. Oh, look how stupid you are. How could you be so stupid? Um, You're worthless. Nobody loves you. Things like that. That's shame. Those are inherent messages included in shame. So here's the thing. Since our feelings come from our thoughts, and... Feelings are messages. Here's how you reject shame you mentally reject the messages in the shame. That's what you do. Now, not too long ago, I did a a dumb thing. I made a judgment in error, uh, and it involved my daughter. When this happened, I felt terrible. First of all, I felt tremendous regret that I acted without knowing all the facts. Secondly, I felt shame well up inside of me, and I hadn't felt it like that in probably a decade. It just washed up through my body, I could, and I recognized it immediately. So in a split second, I had to... Ask myself, what is the shame telling me? What is the message? Well, I didn't have to to think too hard about that before I realized what the message was. The message was, you're you're a terrible father. That's that's why you made such a big blunder. Is because you're a terrible father. And the shame kept washing over me and over me and over me. Now, I knew what the shame was trying to tell me. And in my head, I recognized what it was trying to tell me. And I began to reject those messages. I'm not a terrible father. I'm not a terrible father. The question was like, uh, do you just give yourself self-affirmation? No. Because self-affirmation would be, hey, Brian, you're great, you're great, you're great that's self-affirmation and self-affirmation is not enough what you got to do is you have to specifically reject the specific messages in the shame you have to know first of all what that message is before you can reject it so I identified it in this case it was you're a terrible father and so I began to reject that message I'm not a terrible father no, I'm not a terrible father. I made a mistake. You start putting things in context, too. I'm a human being. I, I made a human being mistake. Uh, and it was for her safety. The, the mistake happened because I was concerned for her welfare. So that's how you do it. Like I said, I don't feel very eloquent tonight, but I hope that that explanation answers both questions. The way you reject shame is by understanding, first of all, what shame is. In any specific uh, circumstance, you have to understand what specifically that shaming message is. You know, it might be different sometimes. Sometimes that shaming message might be, you're ugly, or you're worthless, or you're stupid, or you're totally incompetent, or you're worthless. Or in this case, the example I just gave, you're you're a terrible father. See, do you see why that's shame? Because it is not on the mistake I made. The focus is not on the mistake I made. It's on me. Me. As a as a father. And I'm never not gonna be my daughter's father. <laughs> so there's nothing to fix there. It's a lie. And it's just not constructive. It gives me nothing uh, constructive to work with. Whereas when I look at the mistake, and then I put it into context, I'm a human being, you know, it was an error in judgment, uh, things like that, the focus is on uh, the, uh, the action or the lack of action or the thing said or the thing not said. And then you can uh, console yourself by saying, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to fix that moving forward. Here's here's where I messed up. Here's what I'm going to fix. It's not going to be a problem moving forward. You go to bed at night uh, and you sleep well. Here's a response to uh, somebody who wrote to me. They were very excited about their husband getting to talk to me. And this lady had very high expectations for my ability, as Brian Barnett, the last symptom guy, to get through to somebody that they care about, uh, the husband. So, I had to have a conversation with this person about love and hope. And also my limitations as just a sharer of insights and information. Very little... I mean, very, very little, of a person's progress or their receptiveness depends on what I'm able to accomplish, as Brian Barnett, the last symptom guy. People who manage to authentically escape these things do so for a variety of factors that all come together. And here are those factors. Number one, the quality of their character is good underneath all of their scars. Right? What if it's not? (laughs) What if their character is not good? How do we define somebody who has good character and somebody who does not, by the way? Well, uh, I talked about it here recently, I think, in an orange slice. Which, by the way, I don't if I don't think I mentioned it earlier. Orange slices are daily condensed video videos that I'm doing exclusively on the locals platform, and they're just like five, five to ten minutes in length. But they they offer little brief insights about emotional health. But I think on a recent orange slice episode, uh, I mentioned that the the way that you judge a person's character is not necessarily by what they do or don't do. You know, it's not like the mistakes they've made or the things they failed to do yet. Really, what it comes down to is capacity plus sincerity or genuineness. That's the formula for who who is a good person that separates good people from bad bad people. You know, We all make mistakes. We all say things that we wish we had not said. Uh, We all do really stupid things sometimes. And if you stress us out, just as human beings, if you put us under intense stress, we will do things that are just really outside of of one's character. So this is true for all people, healthy people and unhealthy people alike. You know, you can't say, you can't use these things then as a way to evaluate somebody's goodness or badness. So what do you use then? You use capacity plus genuineness or sincerity. You see, remember that capacity is something that a person, it's an an innate possibility that exists in, within a person so for example i have the capacity to speak german but i don't have the ability to speak german because i've never learned german but i could learn if i wanted to that's why we can say i possess that capacity it's it's not a matter of if i can do it in this moment or not it's a question of does that possibility exist within me if the answer is yes then that is a capac- that's your capacity. You have the capacity for that thing. So, you know, we talk about parents. What standard do we hold parents to? I get so many people, oh, my, par- my parents were unable to parent me healthfully. Well, that's fine. But guess what? That's not the standard that they're being held to as parents. As parents, the standard they're being held to is if they have the capacity to parent you healthfully and the answer is yes they do all they have to do is care more all they have to do is care more you combine that with genuineness or sincerity so let's say that i come to your parents they're beating you up and they're mistreating you and they're emotionally abusing you when you're living at home and let's say i go at a time machine i go back and i talk to your parents i say i've got information you folks really need to know about about emotional health and about emotional education and about what these messages uh, in your attitudes and stuff are doing to your children how will they receive that information will they be receptive will they be sincere in examining themselves with that information if the answer is no that is the qualification for who is not a very good person Right, They're not the first parents to ever make those sorts of mistakes. Or to fail their children that way. But there's two groups of those types of parents. There's the group who, they're not doing that on purpose. And if, if they had the opportunity to learn and change, they're all for it. And then there's your parents. Who even given the opportunity are not interested in exercising their capacity to become good parents you see that's not those aren't good people alright so back to the list number one here's what uh, the variety of factors that we were talking about that need to come together number one the quality of a person's character has to be good underneath all their scars number two their circumstances make it impossible for them to ignore the reality of their emotional state or to not take it seriously anymore number three the pain of their losses or other consequences outweighs their desire to maintain a grasp on their lifelong illusion of control number four emotional exhaustion Number five, having nothing left to lose. So the only place left to go is suicide or the other alternative, to develop a completely authentic determination to identify, understand, and fix the underlying problems that they're dealing with for real. Number six, being held to concrete consequences, conditions, and boundaries by those they care for and don't want to lose. Number seven, access to comprehensive, accurate, non conflicting information and insights presented in clear, interesting, engaging, and easy to understand ways. You know, this is my primary part in all this. Number eight, the desire to strive for at least one major epiphany or revelation or insight. One true major revelation or insight, number nine, naturally results in profound uh, amazement and excitement over what was there all along but that the person couldn't see, and now they realize there must be more so now they're truly motivated, you see, to strive for more of these insights because it's almost like a drug. It's so significant the first time that it happens that the individual just doesn't want it to end. It's, it's a snowball effect. They say, if, if this enormous thing about me was right there under my nose all along and I, and I couldn't see it, there has to be other things like that for me to learn so as you see my part is very very small it's important and I take it very seriously but it's very small any one of these aspects of recovery if missing could make all of my efforts completely and utterly useless that's just the reality we're working with but I promise that I do my very best to take everything I've learned and to take all the techniques that impacted me in my own personal recovery and I do my best I do my very best to artfully reach the deepest recesses of everybody's heart you know just like Michelangelo approaching the slab of stone that would become David but remember the reality that I'm just a normal guy so I don't have any superpowers That means I can definitely get through to people who don't who aren't interested in getting having gotten through to or get who are not interested in uh, anybody getting through to them so I was simply there myself once and now I want to help if I can I always give people the benefit of the doubt because you see I myself was once the lost cause so when I say that I'm optimistic for others with emotional disorders for their authentic recovery. I'm not just saying it. I have good reasons to feel optimistic and positive about the possibilities of their situation. Because if I got free of emotional unhealth, anybody can. There's not a single person that I've ever spoken to who has been more entrenched in borderline personality disorder or some other emotional disorder than I myself was and I talked to a lot of people so while this is not in any way a promise that anybody will get the results they want because you know the reality is very little of it depends on me mostly it depends on you or Whichever individual who's listening to me. But I'm telling you that uh, you certainly, certainly have good reasons to shrug off any sense of hopelessness. And you've got good reasons, really good reasons, to choose hope. You know, which is positivity. It's interesting that true love never gives up hope. Now here's what that doesn't mean. (laughs) It does not mean that true love tolerates all things. You know, you've heard people say true love never fails. What's that mean? Does it mean that true love never gets a divorce? True love never separates? No. True love never fails simply means That it does all the right things in the best interest of that person, even if those things involve great sacrifice, such as a breakup or a divorce. People hear that. True love never fails. And then they stay in um, terribly abusive and uh, unhealthy marriages for 40 years because they think that's what that means and that's not what that means. If true love were in that situation, true love would do all the right things in the best interest of that person's emotional health and long-term happiness, even if it means holding them to consequences that is ultimately a divorce. Does the person stop loving that person because they're divorced? No. Not if, not if they truly love the person. And true love never gives up hope. And again, it doesn't mean that it just tolerates everything. Depending on the circumstances, hard decisions may need to be made for one's own emotional health and in the interest of giving the other person what he or she truly needs over what the both of you might strongly prefer. Think about a, a heroin addict. Is not giving a heroin addict money and threatening divorce and then following through on divorce and getting your kids out of that environment and making that heroin addict lose everything in the interest of hopefully bringing him to his senses is that showing a lack of love? no, that's showing all the love in the world toward that individual might not be what he likes probably certainly not what he likes but it's still the loving thing to do So, love and doing the loving thing, true love, not this fake artificial love, which, you know, isn't even really love, but that, that the majority of pop songs and movies and stuff tell you is love, but is not. Real love can involve heartbreaking decisions, but true love is wise and it's willing to make such sacrifices if necessary because true love always does what is in the best long term interests of the recipient of that love and in the best long term interests of our own emotional health. So, even when things like separation, divorce, or other types of consequences must happen, remember I've said in the past that often love takes choice out of the equation sometimes you look at the situation you because you feel love you say this is just what I have to do I don't have a choice this this is the thing I have to do but even when these things like separation divorce and other consequences have to happen hope should never be thrown out the window love doesn't do that and just because we're limiting our time with another person for necessary reasons This doesn't mean we we have to stop loving them and hoping the best for them. You know, so not taking the attitude, in other words, that they're a lost cause or they're they're just never going to get this right. So continue to hope that it's only a matter of time. Hope for the best. Hope that the people we care for can and will come to their senses. Don't give up on them in your heart don't enable them either (laughs) don't fail to enforce concrete consequences but don't give up on them in your heart no matter how many disappointments happen and no matter how frequently they occur well I had uh, some other stories to tell and some other things to talk about but I'm kinda dragging tonight and time is getting on so we're gonna stop here for this week Uh, that's okay we'll just have lots of good things to talk about next week and um, I want to encourage you again to join us over there on uh, thelastsymptom.locals.com take advantage of the daily orange slices they're getting better and better and like I said they're real brief maybe uh, between 5 typically they're about 5 to 7 minutes long but every once in a while one will run like 10 minutes no biggie And it's a free resource, so I hope you take advantage of it. And also, I hope that uh, uh, maybe you'll become a supporter over there at Locals, and that way you can uh, interact fully with the group. Folks, you have a wonderful weekend. Um, I'll see you on Locals, on thelastsymptom.locals.com. And I'll also be talking to you again right here, next week, same place, same time, God willing, and the crick don't rise, you folks take care of yourselves.